All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. Before we get started, we'd like to let you know that the Uncommon Gem podcast is an adult content show, meaning we may go into explicit detail or say some explicit words when talking about today's subjects. We also like to inform you that we're not paid or sponsored by any of the donations or charities in the episode. We simply just are giving it a shout out and hopefully spreading the word on some good causes. Thanks again for tuning in and let's get on with the show. Yo, yo, what is up? We are back again with episode nine of the Uncommon Gem podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. My name is Kevin Esvez. I'm the host of the pod. Folks, we, we've been having some fun times here. We're in mid-April. We're getting some more eclectic groups of people, which I really enjoy. And I, I think that's the beauty of the show of getting more different voices out there. We've been on that movie kick. We've been on, you know, the philosophy kind of kick of therapy, kind of mental health stuff. And we're, we're going to keep going into more interesting routes. Today, we are interviewing... A really talented person. I, I cannot stress this enough, but she is a comedian. She's an actor, dancer, choreographer. She's also a physicist. And I got to say one of the craziest things I'll ever say in this podcast, but it's history, folks. She's the first African-American woman to receive a double major in ballet as well as physics. So that is truly impressive. Folks, please welcome to the show, Sydney Duncan. Hey, y'all. I'm happy to be here. What an intro. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, you can say whatever, like whatever you think I am. That's it. It's weird to, especially during quarantine, to go back and think like, oh, yeah, that, that happened. Like, it feels like eons ago. But yeah, that was a very interesting time in life. So, Sydney, I, I want to talk about how we met because it's very funny. We still have never met in person. We, yeah. we met during the quarantine. We met in a sketch writing class. Yeah. So tell me how you've been in this quarantine time. How are things going? Right. Yeah. During quarantine, like I wanted to stay as creative as possible because I just didn't want my mind to go even more stir crazy than it already is on a normal basis. So yeah, I, I was taking classes with one of my favorite teachers and that's where I met you. And then I continue to take a lot of comedy classes. I've been in improv classes at different comedy theaters, trying to get different perspectives than where I trained at UCB, whether it's like sketch or improv or late night writing, like I'm just trying to just learn more and TV writing and like pilot writing, stuff like that. And it's been fun to just kind of dive in that the past year. But now I'm kind of fatigued. I, I'm done with Zoom <laughs> classes, even though I'm like, oh, I've learned all this. And now I'm like, I need to learn more and more and more. But now I'm just tired. I'm tired of Zoom. I don't want to <laughs> click open audio one more time. I want to <laughs> I want to be in a classroom with people and yeah. um, getting off the subway to be like, oh, I'm late for class. I'm like running through people, the dramatics of it all. I'm kidding. Um, I need to stop some late <laughs> shit. That's, yeah, that's what I've been up to. I've just been taking a lot of classes and just trying to submit to writing jobs. And I've been choreographing some stuff for another project. And just, yeah, I'm just trying to be stir crazy, but in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good way to go about it, especially during yeah. these times. I'm glad you mentioned like being kind of just like, all right, I need to see people again, because that's kind of where a lot of inspiration of art comes from, especially living in New York. That's where I get most of my comedy, seeing silly stuff happen outside or seeing something happen on the train on a daily basis. So I, I totally hear you, especially with improv comedy. I, I hear theaters are opening up soon, so I really hope that happens because, ooh, I miss it. Right, yeah. I, it'll be so fun for comedy places to open up again. And I'm still trying to get vaccine. I don't know. I, like Some people are like, yeah, I'm already done. And I'm like, I Every time I check the website, it's like none available. And then I check yeah. the other thousands of websites and I'm like, how do people do this? Um, but yeah, no, I'm so excited to get vaccinated and then to be able to go out to comedy clubs and be able to do crappy improv <laughs> again. Because <laughs> it's just going to be rusty. We just all have to just, right. just know it's going to be rusty. It's clunky, but, you, you know, we'll, we'll get through it and we'll get back to doing what we love and being able to go to auditions more and just stuff like that. And it's funny because I know that comedy will come back first before dance. It's been great to go more into that world because with dance, it dance is definitely going to come back. It's just that smaller projects when you're not a famous dancer and have that Rolodex resume. Yeah, those people are going to come back first and they're going to, it's going to be great. Hugh Jackman's Music Man with yeah. Sutton Foster, like that's going to come back first because that has millions of dollars behind it. 
Um, but the smaller projects and roles for yeah. more common people, that is what will come <laughs> back last. <laughs> Those community projects. But that'll be great because I've only been able to dance like within a six foot by six foot space. So it'll be fun to go back to that room (laughs) and all of that. Just being around people. I think I'm going to be just so annoying around (laughs) a human being. How are you? Like, oh, (laughs) Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll be ready for it all. (laughs) Right. The Renaissance is coming and I really it's going to be exciting. I feel after terrible events, so many people like truly take the inspiration of digging deep in themselves and pulling out some good materials. So I I think the Renaissance is going to be very, very strong. Yeah, the Renaissance. What a great way to look at it because. If, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Renaissance was after the Black Plague, and then it there was like a big flux of arts and entertainment correct, and science yeah. enlightenment. Oh yeah, that that sounds good because people were and drinking it, a lot and partying a lot. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Renaissance <laughs> 2.0. That's actually a good sketch idea. So Sydney, really quick, I want to talk about this because it's very interesting that you are really into physics as well as a ballet dancer. So I'm curious, how much of the physics play into your mind when you're really like getting into the dance of it? Do you really like plan certain steps with physics in mind? It's more so I was really falling in love with physics when I take class. I'm a very, I'm a very heady person and I, I almost need to get out of my head more because it can be detrimental. Like sometimes I just want to turn it off and go. Someone said this to me once and it really clicked with me. Um, they said to me, like, you know that SpongeBob episode where there's like 500 SpongeBob and the, and the office is on fire and they're and yeah. it's just on fire <laughs> and there's 500 SpongeBob running around? That's my mind. But in ballet class, I am a logical thinker. Like, as soon as I get the combination, I really do think about physics. I think about torque, velocity, acceleration. How can I balance this? Okay, I have a long leg. People don't know I'm six foot, so I've had to really think about my body and space because it's a lot to manage. So I think about, okay, I need to tilt forward more. I need to think about the center of axis. I need to think about, especially when I'm turning, I think about it a lot. Centrical force. I think about how fast I need to come into the turn, how I need to come out of it, all of that. Jumping, conserving energy here so I can have it there. It really helped me fall more in love with it because there's always something I can work on. But when I'm choreographing and when I'm dancing, I turn all of that off and I really just think about how it makes me feel. I'm a very emotional, expressive person. So when I'm when I'm learning something or I'm in class, I'm thinking about it. But when I'm dancing, all of that turns off and I'm really focused on how does this make me feel? What am I trying to convey? The, the actor in me turns on and I'm like, what is my mission with this movement? What am, What do I want to say when I do this arabesque or this motion with my arms. And I love, I love that aspect more because with physics and ballet, I actually, that was my undergrad thesis was the physics of ballet. And I talked about kind of the kinematics of, of what ballet is. And I really loved both, but I do love them separately as well in their own regard. So I like to sometimes cut off and just think about this, just think about the galaxies or just think about <laughs> the role that I'm playing or something like that. But I loved when they could combine and I could actually do something better because I thought of it. And I love, love, love when I teach ballet and I'm with high school students. That's like my, that's my holy grail is high school students mm-hmm. who hate science. And then they come to me and they're like, oh, I hate physics <laughs> because I had a great physics teacher in high school. So when I get my high schoolers and they don't understand physics, like, Miss Sydney, I hate physics. And I'm like, oh, dagger in the heart. But <laughs> I'm like, okay, how many turns do you want to do? They're like, well, I can't do that many. I was like, no, but how many do you want to do? And they're like, well, you know, I would like to get my triple down, which is like just three, three turns. And that's kind of hard to do sometimes. So I'm like, all right, well, you need to get your arms in faster. You need to X, Y, and Z. And when they get it, I like do this like thing where I just stand there and I'm like, physics and they're like oh he's so dope like it was so cool to use that as a teaching thing I'm like okay so you guys learned about centrifugal force great all right we're going to use that today and you're you're all going to do triple turns today thinking about that subject and they're like oh, okay we can use science to be better and I'm like yeah like those tools are there it's just a matter of I really think a professional dancer especially if we're you know, at the height of their career, they are the masters of the physics of their body. They really oh, are. Yeah. They they know exactly what they want to do with their bodies. And they're so good at physics without even realizing it. 
that they're able to do unworldly stuff. Like someone who can do 11 turns, like what? You can turn 11 times? I sometimes have trouble doing a quarter of a turn. So. Right. <laughs> so it's like, and they, they might have never taken a physics class in their life, but to be able to master that. Thank you, because I mean, that is a unique knowledge of things of both cultures, and I really wanted to get yeah. that on the pod. So folks, like we always do on every episode of the show, we take time to talk about a donation or charity service that we want to call some attention to. Today, Sydney was so gracious enough to bring one to our attention. Sydney, you mind telling us what we're going to be talking about today? Okay, so today what we're going to be talking about is uh, where I want people to think about donating to is the American Physical Society. And what the American Physical Society is, is the Nationwide Physics Association. So what it is, is that you can donate money to this program, but you can also donate specifically to Women in Physics grants. And why I say this is that it is so incredibly hard to be a woman or a minority or both in physics, in your undergrad, in your master's program, in your PhD and beyond. And they need help. It's a lot of money and it's a lot of time to be a physics major. And what I wish I had when I was doing it was support and for someone to, other than, you know, my two amazing parents, to be supportive on the academia side, someone from a place of esteem that is looking out for me. So not only does this grant money sponsor these girls to do their program, but it also sponsors their research, whatever they're working on. So they don't have to worry about, you know, five part-time jobs on top of doing quantum mechanics homework that takes 25 hours a week on top of other things. So it allows them to maybe not have a part-time job and they can you know, get food and pay rent and stuff, helps their research. But it also, they can put that on their resume because scholarship money that you just can hand to someone, that's amazing and incredible. But she can put American Physical Society grant winner or recipient on her resume. And that is going to make her look better if she ever wants to do a graduate or a PhD program. So it's, it's a way to just help girls follow their dreams, but also elevate their resume, because sometimes that unfortunately matters. When they're looking at a woman from an underrepresented community or low-income situation, those committees think about how, oh, this might be a little too hard for her. She might not be able to handle the uh, demands of this program. I've heard that a lot from a lot of different individuals, not even from physics, but just STEM in general. Where they're like, I overheard, you know, my undergraduate advisor say to someone like, oh, she probably won't be able to handle this. Oh, she doesn't have a 3.9. She can't handle the demands. Like I had someone say when I was thinking about graduate school, oh, you have so-and-so grade in a ballet class. You know, you shouldn't think about graduates. I don't think you understand that if you don't have a 3.9, they're not going to be looking at you. And I just hate that because, yeah. yeah, not everyone is a good test taker. I surely wasn't. I was not at all. Um, <laughs> and not everyone has a 3.9, but that doesn't mean that she isn't an incredible researcher and she can do an experiment like no one's business. She can write physics in a really amazing way. But also we need people who are able to describe physics to the masses and, and it stopped being such an elitist thing. So we need people uh, of different walks of life to be in physics. So that grant money, if you donate, will go to those programs. You can specify what. And then there's also in that same grant, you can donate to a specific women in physics program. So like if you're an alumni of so-and-so university, you can send grant money to that women in physics program to support this support group. I loved my women in physics program. They're the reason why I graduated. The, the women I met in that group helped me mentally and physically get through some of the hardest classes. And I love those girls today. So yeah. <laughs> shout outs to them and shout outs to this program. I, I really respect that you said that it is a great support system because they also do things such as childcare services. So, was, yes. so if you happen to have kids, you know, and you can't afford to take care of them or maybe need help taking care of them, they will offer ways to help you with that as well, which, you know, so many people in America in general go through that. So I think that's really, really cool for them to do. Right. But like you said, they offer internships. They offer really great courses so you can learn more about how to communicate and negotiate within the fields of science, which I think is also really great. 
And I love that you mentioned the child care one because a lot of times what's stopping someone from getting to these extra levels of academia is just access. It, that's mm-hmm. literally it. And if we, you know, level that playing field, you could see so many incredible things. Perfect. So yes, folks, please check it out. You just had to go to APS.org. And if you want to check out specifically what Sydney has been telling us about, you go to APS.org slash programs slash women, and that will guide you right to the physics portion. And as always, folks, that's going to be in our Instagram bio, and definitely check it out in the link in our Twitter bio, too. So now, folks, we're going to get to the portion of the show that we all love. It is the Uncommon Gen time. Sydney, do you mind telling us what your Uncommon Gem is? Yes, and, you know, it's not an Uncommon Gem. I just feel like I wanted to something even more uncommon that I feel I don't hear a whole lot is that when you ask someone, you know, what's your favorite type of music? You know, it's, it's a popular type of music, which is totally fine. Like I love my queen, like Beyonce is my favorite type of genre because she's her own genre, but that's not what we're going to talk about. Um, even though I could talk about Beyonce for days. Um, I really Same. wanted to talk about yeah, classical music and classical jazz. I love, love, love music classical music and even though classical jazz and classical orchestra type of music um, are from two different centuries mm-hmm. <laughs> honestly like 300 years apart from each other but those two genres of music really got me through some really tough times and just looking throughout life I've just always gone back to my love of classical music and yeah that's what I wanted to dive in today <laughs> hey I, I respect it I mean I feel especially when you look at the grand scheme of music I feel like Classical music and jazz music are such a backbone of so much of what we listen to in today's yes. society. Or, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely sampled a lot. And yeah, it really, it's just structural orchestra and structural, like, actual instrumentation, which is really what you want to hear in music, not so much, you know, programmed things. What I love about jazz is that it's mainly improvised, which is really the beauty of it. I'm curious how much of that, like, improvisation of the jazz aspect appeals to you. It's so interesting because I've taken improv classes in so many different areas of art. I started off with dance improv, and I had to take college-level courses in different types of improv, so contact improv, more contemporary improv, and just normal, just learn movement and improv. And one of the first classes I took was a music class at Lime Ballet, which is a contemporary ballet company in San Francisco. And there was a local jazz musician that would improv with us as we dance. So I was learning how to improv and like, what do you want to say? With ballet, it's so structured. You have to do exactly what it's asked of you. But it was the first class where they were like, how do you feel? How does the music make you feel? And then we got to watch how a musician used what you just said with your own body to inspire him. That was a wow. mind blowing. Like, what is going on? We're making art. And then I made art and then you made art and then we made art together. I was like, this is what I want to do. I loved that. I loved that. And, and then I went back home uh, after that summer camp type of situation and just fell in love with improv. Uh, but I wanted to listen to what I wanted to. I loved jazz. I grew up in a very musical family. My grandmother was a opera singer and her voice was like just birds chirping in a Sunday morning. Like her oh, voice wow. brought people to tears. So I grew up to her singing, my mother singing. I sang my entire life. My dad was a bass player. He was so, I mean, he's still so cool, but he played bass. <laughs> my brother played the French horn and the trombone and I played the saxophone. Music was always playing. Music was always something in my life that brought me so much joy. And then in high school, I went to performing arts school and I got to take advanced classes with my saxophone and I got to take jazz improvisation and I got to learn what I was already doing with my body with an instrument. And that was incredible. Actually, I'm going to shout out one of my favorite trumpet players, Leslie Bonner. She is Beyonce's trumpet player and she plays for many other artists. She's actually the first person. Yeah, she's so freaking cool. And I got to see her in concert. I went to Beyonce's concert. She was playing on stage with her. I'm like, oh my God, go Leslie. (laughs) And uh, she's so cool. So she was like, Sid, have you ever improv with your saxophone? And I was like, oh no, I just do classical music. And I was in R&B ensemble and I was just doing like background stuff for everybody else because everyone else could just rip and chords going everywhere. And she was like, okay, she wrote down three notes on my sheet music and she was like play whatever you want with these three notes and then she just told you she was like okay Sydney's gonna play now and I was like oh my god no 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 like it's gonna be crap it's gonna be crap 
And she was like, okay, we'll go. It was so much fun to uh, write your own stuff to what do you have to say? And then that's when I decided to take the improv class and I got to learn more and more about jazz music and improvisation and how improv is an extension of someone's soul. It really is. It's like, Oh, could not have said it better. Right. It's so beautiful. You really get to, it's so beautiful that you can understand how someone might feel about something or just their, their consciousness. They're not even thinking about how they feel, but just this is what's going on inside me. That is so beautiful. You can sometimes hear the the happiness. What does your happiness sound like? Or what does your sorrow sound like? Exactly. And it's so personal and deep and beautiful. So yeah, I love, love jazz improvisation. And I mean, even classical musicians, how they compose their scores mm-hmm. is improvisation. Like a lot of times like Mozart, like as a little boy, he was just like, yeah, this is what I want to play y'all. <laughs> and he just wrote down what was on his mind that is cool that is really freaking cool i think you hear it in the music too you just hear them striking those keys striking Mm -hmm. those instruments so hard on certain songs that you you really feel that that passion as well Mm -hmm. yeah interesting to go into like i did dramatic improv and that brought out a lot of anger in me (laughs) (laughs) and then found comedy improv and i was like this is it yeah this is it yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think we shared the two same improv teachers jana and achilles yes yeah Those are two of my favorite teachers yeah oh i loved jana yeah she was my improv 101 i was so freaking nervous it's like ucb like you've heard all these things <laughs> and she just was so welcoming and she wrote mm. me such a nice note i hate looking at grades I, i've still taken a couple classes and i still haven't looked at my grades because i just get so in my head about it but i did read hers and she was just so inspiring like she was so nice we, we love Jana on this pod. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Jana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. So as you said, it's very influential to you. You always come back to it. Who are some of your favorite jazz or classical artists? Yes. And it was so fun to revisit all of these um, for you. But with, <laughs> with I couldn't be a ballet dancer of 22 plus years and not say Tchaikovsky. That man, how he can do uh, grand gestures is so gorgeous. I'll do a couple songs that people definitely probably know, like the Grand Parada in Nutcracker. So like Waltz of the Flowers, the girls are in pink tutus, and then Sugar Plum Fairy and her like dude, her prince, dance together. That song is so beautiful. I could watch, I hate watching Nutcrackers just because I did them for 20 years and I'm like, uh, here we go. <laughs> but I will stay through all the nonsense that I've seen for two decades to watch Snow Paw, which is the end of the first act, and The Grand Paw. Paw, step of two in French. Those two songs just are my heart. And also, I love opera music. I was in advanced music classes for singing and we had to learn a new opera arias which aria is just a solo someone singing it either with one or two people duet and some of my favorite ballets and operas Carmina Burana there's a song called in Trutina choreographed to later because it's just it's so sad i love Mm -hmm. sad songs (laughs) (laughs) because there's something so intimate Mm -hmm. and just meaningful that just really touches i have a more dark soul too so i like choreographing to sad music but i because i'm a very angry person (laughs) because i feel like sad songs calm me down and i I can relate to that yeah right yeah so and also with that, with Tchaikovsky, there's also Stravinsky. And Stravinsky is just freaking brilliant. I love his stuff. It's so fast. And it's like a dancer's dream to dance. We we love everything he's done. Oh, oh I forgot to say, with Tchaikovsky, my favorite, 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 favorite is Diamond's Potida. It's in a ballet called Jules. And Jules is a ballet that I got to see live 
when I was working at Lincoln Center. Duels is a very, very famous ballet where there's three sections and it's choreographed by Balanchine, who was world-renowned choreographer that was at New York City Ballet for decades. He choreographed three parts to, to coincide with the three, three countries that he lived in and trained at. So Stravinsky composed the second act, which is Rubies, which is an ode to America. It's fast, sassy, it's brassy, it's loud. And then the beginning is Emeralds Green, and it's for French, uh, an ode to where he was before he came to America. Oh, it's so gorgeous. It's just everyone's in green. Everything's very French and regal. And then my favorite is Diamond, and it's for Russia. And it's very just grand and Russian. But the pas de deux, Diamond's pas de deux, you can't tell me that that's not what love is. That song is what I think love sounds like as a song. So Diamond's Pas de by Tchaikovsky, and he did three different composers. Apati was the first one, French, Stravinsky, and Tchaikovsky. I used to listen to that song studying every night. And the way that it, it the violins went, it just made me think about equations. The violins, they did this circular kind of motif throughout the song, and it would just, it would help me concentrate. I see. Yeah, it. Uh, Sydney, I believe you have synesthesia. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like you have yeah. synesthesia. Right. You make, yeah. You make visuals of sound. Yes, I really, really do. There's a famous Balanchine phrase where you see the dance. No, you see the music, you hear the dance, and I believe that. When I listen to music, if I ever go to, and I loved working at Lincoln Center because you could also check out ballets, which I did. You could check out Broadway plays. You can go to the Mets, and then you can also go to the New York Philharmonic. And I would love to go see musical shows where it's just an orchestra, and I would just close my eyes, try not to fall asleep. Some days are pretty <laughs> long at where I work, and just I could close my eyes and I would choreograph in my head what I was hearing. Um, I love choreography for that reason. And sometimes like if I hear something on the street, like I love Shazam, I'd be like, oh my God, I would love to oh, yeah. that one, one day. So yeah, opera and especially songs where there's an opera singer singing, like I wrote down Renee Fleming, like, oh, she's so <laughs> amazing. She's butter. Like Renee, in the dictionary next to butter is Renee Fleming. She actually came into my restaurant and no one knew who she was. I was like, that's Renee Fleming. <laughs> she's the most famous singer. But it's like not everyone knows a classical song artist, just like I don't know uh, every baseball player. Like I right. thought, okay, funny story. There was a guy from The Bachelor that came into my most recent job and I thought he was a New York Yankee because he had a Yankee hat on. So I like Googled the New York <laughs> Yankees and all these girls from the street were like, oh my God, hi, like who is that? I was like, oh, he has to be an athlete. Like he just looks like an right. athlete. Like, that he just has to be a Yankee. So me and my manager, we like looked at all these rosters and we're like, oh, I guess he's not a New York team. Like, and then we found out later a couple of days ago that he was like this famous guy from the Bachelorette. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, you know, there, there are worlds that I don't know. So, but yeah, she, she came in and Audra McDonald, who's another amazing black opera singer that I adore her voice. Oh, oh, oh. And another snippet that I would love for people to hear is the symphony of sorrowful songs. I wrote the composer down, but I'm so bad at pronouncing his name. So everyone, my apologies. I'm from Texas and I got that y'alls and draws and all that stuff. Okay. <laughs> it's Gorecki. And actually, it's interesting because when I was studying classical voice, we chose a different dialect. So we would do a German song or you could do a Russian song and you have to learn. Interesting. Yeah. It made me listen to how people speak a lot, which actually helps me with impressions. <laughs> but I, I listen to like the tone of someone and then how they do words and stuff because I had to do that. And I learned a German song and then had to switch to a Russian song from Rachmaninoff, who I absolutely love. Very dramatic Russian composer. 
I love the drama. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's to... a if I may speak on classical music, I think that's an yeah. underrated aspect. You know, like everyone always talks about the hype feeling, you know, the feeling of rushing the blood and stuff like that. And there are songs of classical music that give you that same feeling. Like, right. Also So so many songs really just fill up your blood and really fill you up and just want to get going with adrenaline. Right. And a lot of the beats that rappers are doing nowadays are what composers did but they just did it with violins and i love it when rappers and, and kanye west he does this the neptunes with pharrell they did this oh yeah they sample those strings so well and their songs it makes the song so dope like i love it Young is the life, more skin is the life, yes. that grandiose feeling yeah i love violin orchestration music especially for ballets definitely giselle that was by adolph adam giselle is such a beautiful ballet it's kind of a kooky ballet like she's got some problems and a man's cheating on her and then she dies uh -oh. and then it was lemonade before lemonade it, no <laughs> wow that's a good analogy actually and and not beyonce fashion after she dies the guy goes visits her grave and i was always like when i watched it as an adult i was like okay she died killed herself because she died of a broken heart some people do it differently some people say she stabs herself in the heart because she found out her lover is with someone else or she goes mad because her lover's with someone else but then the guy that was cheating on her visits her grave and she's now a ghost a willy in the ballet She's now in the land of the willies. Land of the willies are basically where unwed women, unwed women used to have their own grave site because they didn't have a family. Oh yeah, you know, like wow. 300 years ago, it wasn't all peachy. <laughs> yep. So the, the queen of the willies was like, no, he can't be here and I'm gonna kill him because we hate men. We like her, we like her. <laughs> but Giselle still loves him. So she helps him dance with her through the night so that he can escape in the morning. And people are like, oh, that's so romantic. Even after death, you can still love someone. It's like, no, he cheated on her. <laughs> and in the ballet, uh, the prince, he's a prince. He chooses the princess. Uh, you know, you, you're just like, you're not- The toxicity reaching. of the male freaking spectrum. You right. know, this is never ending. Right. And <laughs> even after death, you're still gonna fight tooth and nail for a man who's cheating on you. I can't. Um. I can't do it. Uh, but the music is gorgeous. <laughs> and, and the dancing is gorgeous. It's, it's a very famous ballet. So Giselle, you can find it on YouTube. Just the whole thing. I don't really... I love the Potidas. Always the, the couple that dances at the end. That song is always the most famous and the most beautiful song. The whole uh, shindig is great. Uh, <laughs> and my favorites are definitely Chopin's Les Sulfide. Chopin is a big-time ballet composer, Schubert as well, all the greats like Mozart, Bach, Schubert, Chopin, like they all have ballets and they're all gorgeous. And with ballet, you listen to those songs every day for hours as you're training. And I just really fell in love with piano music, especially. I love piano music because, you know, every day for 20 years, you come into ballet and no matter what happened in your day, it doesn't matter. Now you get to listen to beautiful music for the next couple hours. And that really helped me mentally. I could, whatever dealings I had that day or stresses or anxieties, I could take the bar and listen to that music. And it was amazing. Music really allowed me to escape those worries. And those songs were what I could listen to. And, and my, my older ballet teachers when I was younger were always like, Sid, you always look like you're in your own world. And I really was. I, I, I can turn off everything when I'm listening to music and just escape and start to choreograph and start to think up scenes and, and write this dialogue. And then she does this and then she does that. And that's why I like sketch because it's, mm -hmm. it's like you're doing that, but now they're saying things. <laughs> but yeah, so I loved all those, all the songs and especially with a live pianist, oh, that's just the bee's knees. And in New York, when you go to a ballet class, you always have a live musician and it's some of the best pianists like some of these pianists are 
it's like their day job. And then the night job is like, oh, I'm going to go play at the New York Philharmonic tonight. And you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Catch you later. Right. Rides off on skateboard. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And they also love improvising during class to mm. the dance that they're singing. So there was this one pianist, I can't remember his name, but at Steps at Broadway, which is a really famous dance place, you can take classes, all the greats. Like you could stand next to one of the prima ballerinas of the world and everyone's just taking class because everyone's got to take class. And uh, I looked over and this song was so intricate. I was like, oh, he has to be looking at music. He has to be looking at music. And I look over and he's just like having a cup of coffee <laughs> and he's just drizzling. And I asked him after class what song that was. And he was like, oh, I was just improvising, you know? And I was just like, oh. Humble brag. <laughs> Humble freaking brag. And a lot of a lot of people can do that. You know, they've been doing it for so long. They can just, oh, it's just whatever I, he was Tree looking talent. at someone and that's the type of movement she was doing. So he just copied what she was doing. It's so cool. I, I geek out over it. <laughs> I, that's just the beauty of art. You know, art always brings life, not only into people, but into art itself. So yes. yeah, I'm, I'm curious if we could take like a quick detour, but yeah. You, you were talking about pianists, and one of my favorite pianists and music people in general right now is Devontae Hines, the the man behind Blood Orange. I'm curious if you know about him. Yes, I've definitely heard him. I don't know, unfortunately, that much. But his, isn't he starting to get featured as a uh, as a producer on certain people's albums that are coming out? Or oh, yeah. Maybe yeah. Somebody else. So um, he, he's worked a lot with a lot of more pop singers, so like uh, Carly Rae Jepsen and stuff like that. But he's worked with... He's worked with ASAP Rocky. He's worked with Solange. Okay, he's worked with Toru Iwa. He's worked with so many, like, all over the board. But he he's really interesting to me because he takes a lot of jazz aspects of music. And there's always, like, a, you know, like, a really slow kind of cool jazz tone to his, like, music. But you can tell he always starts with a piano. Like, you can tell most of his songs always start with that pianist basis. And I think a lot of his music is, like you were saying, that improvisation of, okay, where are we going to start with the mood? Because I think in, in music in general, keys are the most, like, instrumental of the instruments. They they oh. said the, the skeleton. Right. And learning chords was so hard. I had to take a couple years of musical theory. I was like, wow. Like, for piano to be your, oh, it's just so much training. Like, the way mm. that they can look at thousands of chords on one page and just boom, 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 boom. And then be able to switch to jazz and then switch to pentatonic chords and then switch to minor chords and... There's so many types of chords and they can just play them like it's talking. I've always been amazed at that. But I love when they take those elements and bring it into new music. I love Solange with my whole heart and soul and all the artists you just said. So I'll definitely have to like make a more poignant point to yeah. because I think I know exactly the songs that you're talking about, but I haven't registered that that was him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, once once you once you hear him, you're gonna be like, I know this guy's whole yeah. like catalog. I've listened to this whole music. For sure. Um, yeah. He's been. He also music. he composed the entire uh, Queen and Slim like actual score. Yes. So that was that was like really where he flexed his uh, right. his music muscles too. What a beautiful and sad film. I loved it. People thought, mm -hmm. oh, I didn't like that. I ate that film up. I love dramatic endings because the ending is very ballet. Yes. Oh, <laughs> my <ballet>. God. Yes. <laughs> they don't make it out alive. Uh, they <laughs> never, ever do. Someone always dies in a freaking ballet. But yeah, yeah. And actually, like, I just love artists who can just, it's just piano and their voice. I love that. The simplicity like Adele, like everyone loves Adele. Oh my God. Her. Like, you know, one chord and you're in tears. <laughs> right. right. And Beyonce can do that. I mean, Beyonce can do all things for me, but like, for instance, like love drought, like that first chord, I'm out. Oh, and that's a good song. Yeah. Like, da na 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 out. Like, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of songs where that starting chord, the, the chemistry of music, the way mm. that one chord can affect you and bring you back to a point in your life, that is so cool and magical. And, like, psychologists have the studies behind how music can affect the psychology of your brain and how there's a whole industry of music therapy. Ugh, love it all. 
what a better way to relax than just to take a long walk with a very depressing album. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is usually what I do. They're like, Sid, like all the songs really rock out to are all really, really sad. And I'm like, yeah, I love it. <laughs> I don't, I don't gravitate even with composers and ballets. I don't like the fast stuff. I like the slow just kind of sorrowful things. I love that. I love when we slow down because I feel like my life is very fast paced or before the pandemic it was. <laughs> <laughs> it always felt like I was running around constantly. 24 hours a day, I have something to do. I don't even have time to sleep. I got to go, 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 go. I'm not good enough to take a rest. And those songs would allow me at least in my brain to kind of take measure of that and slow down and yeah, like to, to ownership that, yeah, you're not always happy. And even though on the outside, I have to be happy. I'm in a ballet that's going on two hours and I need to stand <laughs> there and clap hands and be happy, especially when you're acting and, and ballet or just like being a black woman in a professional space. You mm-hmm. have to come off as positive and happy and that there's no care in the world. Hey, how can I help you? How can I dismantle that I actually really am an angry black woman? <laughs> But I know that professionally that won't let me get me anywhere. And I also never, ever angry or mean to anyone off the bat. But I know that I have to come off a certain way to dismantle how I know that I'm an intimidating person. So I know that I have to put on a mask that allows me to seem nice and inviting and welcoming to be able to excel in the areas that I was in, whether it be physics, ballet, whatever. So that's exhausting. It really is. So to be able to, your music, it can be angry, it can be loud. You don't know what's in my headphones. I mean, you probably could hear it. I have, I'm really hard of hearing. So (laughs) most of the time you can probably hear my music better than I can. Mm. But the music can allow you to feel whatever you want. And I love Mm -hmm. that. Cannot agree more. That euphoric feeling can never be beat. Like you said, you experience it in different ways if the music's live. It's a lot different when you have an actual person there performing the music with you and improvising there than something that's already recorded and something that's, you know, you got to process. Oh, I Um, live music. That's the deep need. (laughs) I I miss it. I miss it very much so. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you have, but have you been to the Blue Note? That's probably my favorite place to go for music. And actually some people from my high school performed at Blue Note. Nice. Um, Yeah, no, there's so many incredible jazz musicians that come from my school. It just was like, you're incredible. (laughs) Um, So for me to be a fangirl and be in the audience, like... That's my friend. Yeah, that's, that's my friend. Yeah, that's him on saxophone or that's him on drums. And like some of them have even played backup for Joe Sample, you know, rest in peace. Stanley Clark, I believe. I could be wrong. I feel like someone's about to slap me after I said that wrong. But a lot of them have played backup for people that are so incredible. And I, I'm so, I'm definitely the person that when any of my friends succeed, I'm, I'm just so, so happy mm-hmm. for everybody. I don't have a jealous bone in my body. I'm just like, oh my God, look at you succeed. And at Booker T, that's where I went in Dallas. Performing arts school that Nord Jones, Erica Badu, like the, the Rolodex of people that have come from there is just so inspiring. But because you know that legacy, you, you treat your own art so well. You're like, oh wow, like, he just got this idea and she's doing this and she's doing that. You're happy for everyone because not everyone has the same path or at least they didn't have the same path. I won. I was such a weird person. I'm just like a weird planet on a, on the outskirts. Like, Oh yeah, there's Sid. We don't know exactly <laughs> what she's doing, but we're happy for her. But I was, it was so interesting to see where everyone was going. And because everyone was so passionate around you, you wanted to find what you were passionate about. Mm-hmm. And what inspires you? And as soon as you walked into the building, people were practicing. They actually, it's so cool. It was a newer building. They made it so that music and words could echo. So the halls were perfect for practicing your instrument. Oh, wow. Because the acoustics of the building, you could hear yourself play like you were in a practice room. And they wanted people to be practicing their lines or their music in the hallways and for the acoustic to be great for the music to travel. It was brilliant. And that's the science, that's the physics of music. So as soon as you walk into the building, whether it's like at 6 a.m. even before class, there's a person playing their violin in the hallways or there's someone going through their monologue or we would practice in the hallways too. The acoustics were so amazing. You would go into the stairwell, hear someone singing a solo. Like it was such a magical place. And that's definitely where the love of both jazz and 
classical music fell in love because even though everyone loved popular music everyone was listening to coltrane and you know oh, yeah. miles davis and i wore that shirt just for this just for this oh, conversation amazing. Yay, i yeah. wore the bitches brew shirt because that is an album i go to all the time amazing <laughs> i love trumpet music but i definitely gravitated towards saxophone more just because that was what I was playing. And I lo- I loved playing my saxophone. I really did. Someone told me that I kind of play my music a little bit like Paul Desmond, who's um, a saxophone player that used to work with uh, people like Dave Brubeck and other famous people because he's very sorrowful and kind of more long notes that seem more balletic. I love the idea <laughs> of art where... So many inspirations can come from so many different things, but that that is kind of what the show is about. Like, where do you draw the inspiration from and who are your inspirations, inspirations? So I love that we've gone into this whole tree of classical, tree of jazz, because like you said earlier in the pod, it's the root for so much of the art we listen to. More or less, I think you really hit it on the head when you said that it, especially with improvisation, how it's just you at your core expressing yourself really, truly. That's what art's all about. You know, you want to get yourself out there. You want people to to see what you see in the world. And I feel like, I think it can be intimidating, whether it's improving by singing or dancing or moving mm-hmm. or comedy or acting, whatever it is, it's scary because you are putting yourself out there. And some of my students, especially younger girls, petrifying. Like some people, if you ask them to improv, they're, they're, they will cry. And some will refuse not to because the fear of, it being ugly or not accepted or that it's not planned or it's not exactly practiced. That's terrifying. But I feel like when you accept that fear and you get rid of the idea of it being perfect and just get out there and you finally get that moment of expression, you get past trying to be perfect and you get more into the the road of what do I have to say? And knowing that that's valid and beautiful and, and your soul needs that. But there are still some people who know that and they're like, I, just improv's not for me. And I get yeah. that and I respect that. But I hope people who have never improv a day in their life know that you have actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, human beings, we do improvise. All the time. Right, all the time. And I definitely think the easiest one to get into is definitely comedy. Like I definitely think people should take an improv 101 class. <laughs> yeah. It changed my life because even with ballet and music and physics, I definitely always felt that I needed to be this perfect version. Mm-hmm. And with comedy, I walked into a room where people were just like, oh, we're just looking for you to just goof around and just be yourself. I had never given myself permission to really, really be myself without some type of layer on top of it. So with the comedy, it just allowed you to just be like, hey, here I am. There's no audition involved. There's no point my foot or not or be this perfect thing. I'm just here. And and that is really, really freaking cool. And yeah, and actually, I forgot to tell you the jazz composers. My apologies. Not necessarily. Compo- I mean, I love Dave Brubeck and Gershwin. Like Gershwin is definitely my favorite. I know it's kind of cliche, but I just love everything that they did. The, the dance of Gershwin is just amazing. Just everything they did was meant to be danced to. Just like my favorite people are actually just black female vocalists. They have my heart and soul forever. Like Sarah Vaughn. The song I love of hers is called Misty. she sings it and I think jazz vocalists and even classical vocalists they sing songs like a ballet dancer does variation they take the music and kind of grind with it to make it their own and with a variation or even a song two two musicians playing those two songs are going to sound different and they they put a variation on it (laughs) but I love how she takes songs she also this bitter earth her version of that is gorgeous. Obviously, Ella Fitzgerald, Forever and Always. Her song, oh, yeah. Cry Me a River. Told me love was too plebeian. Told me you were through with me. And now, now you say that you love me. 
I choreographed to it. I absolutely love that song. And Someone to Watch Over Me. Billie Holiday uh, reminds me of my grandmother. Her song, I'll Be Seeing You, is forever my favorite. I'll be looking at the moon, but I'll be seeing you. Gotta love Frank Sinatra. Once again, I love how all these songs, people are going to realize, like, oh, these are all their saddest songs. (laughs) (laughs) Especially with someone like Frank Sinatra, he's known for more of the grandiose, more... (laughs) New York, baby, ha, like kind of music, but he did definitely have those sad songs. I think that's important for them to know. My favorite song of his is In the Wee Small Hours of the Morning. When your lonely heart has learned its lesson, you'd be hers if only she would call. In the wee small hours of the morning. Nice. Which is a very sad song. <laughs> I love I love his big songs too. But yeah, and a saxophonist that I also love is Charlie Parker. And I keep saying that these are my favorite, 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 but my actual favorite is Nina Simone. Oh. If you were ever to be like, okay, if your soul jumped out of your body, like my version of 22 from Soul, my 22 would be Nina Simone. I really feel like how she speaks, how she writes music and and composes it is how I feel on the inside. And I'm afraid to show people that side. But she really is my soul. Like I love Nina Simone. And my favorite songs of hers are I Love You Porgy, Four Women, Lilac Wine is a gorgeous song that I often regret. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. I love (laughs) Lilac Wine. Lilac Wine is sweet and heady like my love. I actually, I choreographed and I danced in a piece to that song and it was about an abusive relationship. I've never been in one, but like, I just love drama. And she's like addicted to alcohol. So she drinks Mm -hmm. while I like wine. And I could, I would get so emotional performing that piece that I would cry at the end of it. Mississippi Goddamn, If I Should Lose You. Love it all. Or even just Black is the Color of My True Love's Hair. Like her whole catalog is everything to me. How does her quote, an artist's duty, as far as I'm concerned, is to reflect the times. How does that appeal to you? What do you take away from that? Right. That quote changed my life. Once again, dramatic, but it actually did. So I did a piece in college. This was around 2016, where my knowledge of the Black Lives Matter movement was, it really hit home for me in 2016. And uh, a lot was happening in society and I was so angry. And I was researching already the Loving versus Virginia case, which is the case in Virginia that allowed throughout the entire United States two people from two different races to get married. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did the entire ballet to Nina Simone music. And when I was researching where the music that Nina Simone was coming from, I heard that quote. And then I was like, you know what? I need to, I need to make a ballet and I need to say something with whatever I do in my art, whatever type of art I do, I want to say something with it. And that's when I decided to choreograph that piece from that quote. And then from after that, no matter what I did, I wanted to say something with my art. And I've done that since then. And I love actually doing that with my comedy as well. Like sometimes I'm goofy, but a lot of the times I want to use this type of expression to get my point across on something that I'm angry about, <laughs> mm-hmm. that I, I don't know how to say, but just saying it, I need to use something to say it. So sometimes I do it in a goofy way, but the points that I'm making behind some of my sketches are things that I'm very passionate about. And I remember that Nina Simone quote, that's so cool yeah. that we're vibing both from that quote <laughs> of it is truly an artist's job 
to use their art to say something. And I've always wanted to say something with my art. And then Solange also said, do everything with intention. And I also love that as well. That make it meaningful. You have this space and, and this beautiful privilege and platform to say something. So say it with, with passion and, and grandeur. I hope I'm using that word right. I, I believe so. There's, there's a lot to be emotional about in this world. Music has definitely just allowed me to just make sense of it, but also like, how can I use it to talk about mental illness, to talk about, you know, what, what it means to be black in America, what it means to be a woman, what it means to see something in the news that enrages you to your core, but you can't do anything about it because you're in quarantine and you're in a room and all you have is a camera, you know? (laughs) Um, And actually I wanted to, I always do a lot of classical people, but Someone in more recent years that I absolutely have always loved is Esperanza Spalding. Yeah, she's a bass player that was a classical bass player, went to Berklee School of Music. Excuse me, my apologies. She went to New England Conservatory. I think she teaches at Berklee for a couple of years, something like that. She has really transitioned from classical to contemporary, and her music is great. Her album, Chamber Music Society. If you've never heard jazz in ever and you never want to listen to jazz, Please try to listen to Esperanza Spalding's Chamber Music Society. The way that she plays is the greatest walking music. Vince Guaraldi from Snoopy, from the Peanuts, the jazz composer, famous jazz composer that I think his music is the best walking music. And then as from Spalding, (laughs) (laughs) he has a song, Vince Guaraldi's This Is Happiness. That song is gorgeous. best walking music if you're in new york and you want to walk around listen to this is happiness by vince Guaraldi, and then listen to esperanza spalding's chamber music society and do it in order i bet oh, people yeah. are like i'm not gonna do that but at least i put it out there <laughs> come on folks give it a chance yeah give, it a, give chance. it a chance it's a beautiful album and she goes sad and she goes happy and goes upbeat slow beat like the way that she uses music and composes it is so freaking gorgeous I would love to see her live one day. She actually, fun story, she won Best New Artist at the Grammys, and she beat Justin Bieber and Drake that year. Ha! Yeah. Suck it. Yeah. Folks, you know, if you've been rocking with us all nine episodes, I think it's unfortunate that you're finding out now, but this is an anti-Drake podcast. Oh, no! (laughs) we We do not fuck with Drake on this podcast. Oh, my God. I adore him. I think high school Sydney will always want to marry him i don't want to marry him anymore but i did in high school oh my god you couldn't tell me i wasn't gonna marry him in high school um <laughs> and i loved him in degrassi um, okay i didn't know no no no, no, no. I, I, i'm just this is the first time we're speaking but from now right, on right. no <laughs> you so cannot funny. no uncommon gem as drake i refuse it i will not allow you on the show it's funny are you from new york i was born in new york yeah okay all new york guys that i know hate drake <laughs> they hate him they think he's so just like uh, i get i get it though because new yorkers are so blunt and honest and just like yeah uh grounded and drake is like an actor boy who's sensitive and like <laughs> non-new york right. he's a non-new york guy but i think pretends to be very east coast like you know i wear tims and i have my puffy and it's like no nah, man you you ain't real <laughs> That's, that's my theory on why New York guys hate Drake and just can't stand him. But yeah, I think, I think it's a solid theory. I think you got some you got some proof and evidence already yeah. going for you. Yeah, I worked at a restaurant where there was a group of guys <laughs> that I learned so much from. They were all from New York and they were hilarious. But they were like, "No, nah, man, that's whack. That's whack." And, and this is good. And they would tell me what was what was what was hip and what wasn't because obviously I'm a nerd at heart and I don't know. Like I remember. 
one time they tried to tell me about Takashi 69, whatever his name is. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I didn't know the drama behind it. And they were talking about like the, the gangs that he was involved with or like just all the drama. And I didn't know. And I was like, oh, what's so-and-so? Whatever gang they were talking about. And they were like, oh, Sydney, of course you don't know what gang violence is. And <laughs> I, I tried to learn. I was like, I'll just, um, I'll just go listen to my classical music and, and go to that. <laughs> couple more recommendations if you've never watched ballet or classical music like I gave you lots of recommendations on jazz feel free to comment or DM whatever like if you're like oh I listened to this and it was trash like let me know how you feel I love talking to about music there is a an amazing piece of orchestration called come here the day and I could not remember who the composer was but it is such a beautiful piece of orchestration um also the marie antoinette soundtrack a oh, lot of people hell yeah. love that soundtrack and i feel like it's such it did such a great job of bringing old classics into uh new age like that soundtrack deserves so many awards because i yes. think it's so timely and a lot of people random people that i meet they're like oh yes i also love the marie antoinette soundtrack the movie's also, got style and a large part of that style is the soundtrack yeah right she did like whoever put that those songs together just i want to bow down to them paul desmond's songs that i love are emily and his version of autumn leaves i love autumn leaves that song in general but his version of it is just so soothing oh oh uh, a great ballet is romeo and juliet's balcony scene parkos i'm probably pronouncing that composer's name wrong p-r-o-k-o-f-i-e-s romeo and juliet an amazing composer also a really awesome ballet to watch yes lots of death obviously but the drama of it is great and then also monan choreographed by kenneth mcmillan he's a, he was the artistic director for the royal ballet and amazing choreographer great ballet and also operas also you can find all those ballets online uh, on youtube and yeah just porgy and best i think it was at lincoln center right before everything went and i think it was supposed to come back but i'm not sure if it's going to come back but porgy and bess at the met had an all-black cast and they even had the production crew behind all of it was also trying to be as diverse forward and i thought the production was amazing so if you haven't seen an opera operas are kind of hard to get people to come to because they are foreign they're very long Mm -hmm. I've been to one that was just so long. You're like, I get it. I get why it's not as popular as a concert. But Porky and Bess is an American opera, and it can really, you know, pull those heartstrings. Yeah, I think those are all my... I know there's so much more, but... Right. It's, it's a huge world that y'all yeah. should really just dive into if you've never done so before. Right. Yeah. Go, and also, like, once we're back, go see live art. Go, yes. whether it's a museum or ugh, making me miss all of that, because that was literally my life. And if you're feeling down during quarantine, try to look up live art mm -hmm. online. I know it's not the same, but a ballet on YouTube or even a contemporary piece of dance or uh, an improv show or something online, like art can really make you feel better. So allow it to. And that's why we're all like binging Netflix. We're all hundred oh, percent because that that medium of art allows you to escape. But know that there's other things, you know, those days are like, oh, what do I watch on Netflix? How about don't watch Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime right. and try another medium? And that'll really start to get your inspiration juices going for like, huh, what do I want to do? What do I want to say in my own mind? Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Awesome, folks. Well, please do take those recommendations and please check them out. You know, we got we got tools like YouTube, Spotify, so you can definitely check some of these things out. Uh, really quick on my end, if you want to know some of the jazz and classical music that I like, definitely recommend Miles Davis, as I said. But a personal favorite of mine is Yoko Kono and the Seatbelts. So they wrote music for this anime show called Cowboy Bebop, but they literally wrote the music for the show. Like, very much jazz improvisation for this show. And it is just... How Sydney was saying there's some walking music, that is some walking music. I feel 
anytime I walk in, I'm walking in like James Bond sometimes to this music. So definitely recommend that. <laughs> As far as classical music, I, I'm a big sucker for Akira Ifakube. He is the composer for the Godzilla films. But oh, you can definitely cool. hear the triumphant violins, the orchestra building, and a lot of that music. So that's that's the kind of orchestration that I like. And it definitely has tones of classical in there. definitely watched Cowboy Bebop growing up and was like, this is such a cool show. But yeah, music orchestration for movies are yes. the best. Best, yes. best, best, best. But yeah, thank you so much for having me. And Of course. Well, you know, we really appreciate you hopping on the show. Sydney, where can people find you? Yes. Where can you find me? On the streets of New York. I'm kidding. I barely <laughs> go out. On IG, on Instagram, you can follow me at Silly Sydney Duncan. I post daily just fun sketches and impressions and characters and stuff. And then on Twitter, I'm at Sid underscore Duncan. Same thing. And on TikTok, I'm Sydney Duncan on them. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like my name's Sydney Duncan and then O-N-E-M. And if you're ever like interested in me choreographing or teaching or speaking engagements to talk to like young kids and stuff, I do that as well. And my website is just sydneymduncan.com. And I have like a little contact thing where you can like, hey, come teach a Zoom or something like that. Hello. I'm available. Hit me up. Also, please go to her website because she has a lot of her dances right there on there. One that really caught my eye was Boundless because I saw all the space <gasps> yeah, themes. So I that was a really it. cool one to watch. I definitely recommend checking that out. Awesome. Thank you for watching. It was such a beautiful piece to do. Sydney, you're truly a talent and I'm very thankful for you to be on the show. We barely even scratched the surface with you, but you're always welcome back. Yeah. Folks, as always, please come back next Friday. We'll have another episode for you. And you can check us out on YouTube, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Spotify. You know the list. I'm not going to keep doing this list every episode. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Sydney, before we go, any last words for the people? Just hang in there, you guys. The sun's coming. Just keep listening to music. We'll get through this little panty soon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, y'all take care. Have a great rest of the week, wherever you listen to it. Peace out. Mm -hmm.